Hi Chingabi Anglican, my name's Lauren and I'm going to be doing the Bible reading for us today. We're going to be starting at Genesis chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age and he made a robe of many colours for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring him themselves to speak peace, peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There, there we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up and your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. And are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream and this time... The the sun, moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers, and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this you have had? He said. Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. His brothers had gone to a pasture, their father's flock at Sheshem. Israel said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Sheshem. Get ready, I am sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. Then Israel said to him, Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the Hebron Valley and he went to Sheshem. A man found him there wandering in the field and asked him, What are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph said. Can you tell me where they are pasturing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him in the distance and before they had reached him, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. So now come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we can, we can say that a vicious animal ate him and we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood, throw him in this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from them, intending to rescue him from them and return him to his father. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe the robe of many colours that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water. They sat down to eat a meal. And when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam red, and resin going, to, going down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. 
When Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 silver pieces to the Ishmaelites, who took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy is gone. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat and dipped the robe in its blood. They sent the robe of many colours to their father and said, we found this, examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? His father recognised it. It is my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn, torn to pieces. Then Jacob took his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Shoal to my son mourning. And his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar and Pot an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guards. We'll now be going to Genesis chapter 40 from verse 6 to verse 15. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he said he saw that they looked distraught. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We had dreams, they said to him, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. In my dream, there was a vine in front of me. On the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossoms and and as soon as it budded, it blossoms came out, blossoms, its blossoms came out, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed, Pharaoh, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is its interpretation, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing that should put me in the, in the dungeon. Um, I'm hoping that this is the last time I have to preach looking at a camera only and not people in front of me. Uh, so looking forward uh, to doing that. Uh, hopefully next week. I won't be preaching, but it'll be great to be gathered uh, with everyone again. Now, I wonder, what do you dream your life will be like? Do you see a picture of, uh, you know, yourself living maybe right on the beach, you have everything you want, you know, you're reading a good book, you go home to that big house that you've paid off and have no more debt, you hang out on the weekends with your friends and family, not a care in the world. Maybe you dream to become that CEO of that big company and earn that six-figure salary. Maybe your dream is just to be able to get out of Sydney finally and go and see your family who live elsewhere. I think our dreams, they often seem so much better than the reality that we live in currently, don't we? Don't they? We hope for so much and yet in reality we those dreams that we hope for, they can seem a long way off, maybe even impossible sometimes. 
And rather than living out those dreams, we instead find ourselves doing it tough. We suffer day after day. We feel the pain of this broken world. And so what do we do about that? What do we do when things aren't going the way we hoped they would? What do we do when it feels like everything is falling apart? Do we just pack it all in and give it up? Give up? How do we respond? Well, today, in today's passage, as we look at the life of Joseph, we're going to see that Joseph, he had some dreams as well. Not dreams in the sense of what he wanted to achieve in his life, but actual dreams, sleeping dreams given to him by God that painted a picture very different than the life he was experiencing. And yet we're going to see that for, the, for Joseph, these dreams also seemed a long way off. And we're going to see how Joseph responds when life is tough. And so how about I pray and then we'll jump into the passage together. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can meet together to sit under it, to learn from it, to grow in our love and knowledge of you. Lord, we, I just ask that you'll help me to preach clearly and faithfully and pray that we'll come away from today loving you more and wanting to glorify you with our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, like I said, today we're looking at the life of Joseph. Uh, we're continuing on in our Genesis series, moving uh, from looking at the lives of Abraham and Jacob. Um, we've seen the way God has been working in their lives to bring about the fulfillment of His promises that He gave to Abraham. And in the story of Joseph, we again see that, well, things, events, people seem to be uh, doing things that look like they're going to halt God's plans. It looks like there's trouble and it looks like uh, things might not go the way we expect them to. The promises are threatened. And yet, again, we're going to see God work through people, work through people's sin even, uh, to bring about His promises. So let's have a look at the passage. Uh, at the end of chapter 35, which we finished on uh, a few weeks ago, we see that Jacob had 12 sons and Joseph is one of the sons. And then as we move into 37, we get a bit, of picture, a bit of a picture of what Joseph is like. So 37 verse 2, At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhar and Zilphar, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons, because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made a long-sleeved robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Well, what do we find out about Joseph? We see he's young, 17 years of age. And we see he's a bit of a dibber-dobber, like all young children often are, the youngest siblings. He brings a bad report about his brothers to his father. And we learn, don't we, that he's his father's favourite. Jacob loves him more than his other sons and he makes him a nice robe to show him that he loves him. And it's obvious to the brothers that Jacob is, favours Joseph. And because of this, they hate him. And then to make things worse, we've learned that Joseph, well, he has a couple of dreams that the brothers aren't too pleased about. As we read uh, before, Joseph dreams about grain and he dreams about stars. And in both these dreams, the grain and the stars are bowing down before him. 
See, Joseph is dreaming about his brothers and his family serving him as, and him ruling over them. Now, for those of you that have siblings, I um, imagine you wouldn't really appreciate them telling you that they're going to rule over you in the future, especially if they are your younger sibling. I have a little brother, his name's Tim, he's six years younger than me, and uh, if he woke up one morning and told me that he'd had a dream, that in the future I would bow down before him and he would rule over me, well, I wouldn't be too pleased about it. I'd probably say something like, righto champ, come on mate, keep dreaming, there's no way that's going to happen. You know, I would not cop him letting me, telling me that. I didn't even cop him sitting in my chair at home, and he has a broken collarbone to make sure he remembers that. Um, you know, I, wouldn't, I would not let him tell me he was going to rule over me. And so it's the same for Joseph's brothers. In verse 8, of course, they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. See, even Joseph's dad wasn't happy when Joseph told him that him and his mum would also bow down before him. And Joseph, I reckon he seems a bit oblivious at this point, doesn't he? Because it's one thing to have these dreams... It's another thing to tell the people you've dreamt about what is going to happen. And so what do the brothers do? Well, verse 18, they saw him in the distance and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. So now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So the brothers, they decide they're going to kill the dream by killing the dreamer. And yet we know, don't we, that this dream was given to Joseph by God. And so we shouldn't be too surprised when the brothers' plans, don't, uh, they don't end up carrying them out. Because you see, if God has given this dream to Joseph, as we're going to see later on in the book of Genesis, then these dreams are going to happen. They're going to come true, even if it seems a long way off at this point. So instead of killing Joseph, the brothers decide he's more valuable to them alive. They sell him, they dip his robe in blood and pretend he's been killed by an animal. And they deceive their father Jacob, just as Jacob had been the deceiver, as we learn about him a few chapters ago. Joseph is sold for 20 shekels to the Midianite merchants. And so we're left to wonder, aren't we? Well, what about Joseph's dream? At the start of the chapter, he's dreamt of ruling his brothers and his parents. They're bowing down before him. And yet we end the chapter with Joseph being sold off to one of Pharaoh's officials, Potiphar. It seems like God is far off and seems like hope is gone for Joseph. Now, as we keep moving on, we're covering a big chunk of text uh, this morning, so we don't have time to go into all the detail. But in chapter 38, there's a bit of a side narrative about Judah. Uh, so I encourage you to read that and wrestle with that in your own time this week. Uh, but as we move into chapter 39, we pick up the story again of Joseph. And we see in verse 2 that things have started to turn around. Although it seemed like God was far from Joseph at the end of chapter 37, have a look here, we see that the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. 
From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. You see, everything Joseph did turned to gold. It's almost like he's had a bit of a drink of Harry Potter's liquid luck potion. You know, it seems like it's all going well for him. Except this isn't luck that's making Joseph successful, is it? No, it's because God is with him. See, God is faithful to Joseph, even as Joseph suffers, even as he faces great hardship. And Potiphar, he notices this. He sees Joseph being successful, and so he makes him his right-hand man. And all of a sudden, well, it looks like Joseph's dreams might be starting to come to fruition. But then we see trouble again, as in comes Potiphar's wife. We read in verse 6 that Joseph, he's well-built, he's handsome. Maybe picture something a bit like this. (laughs) Or maybe a little bit more handsome, but, you know, Chloe might agree with me. That's probably the only person. Potiphar's wife... She likes the look of Joseph, doesn't she? And she asks him to sleep with her. There's no messing about. There's no subtle glances across the room. It's just a direct statement telling Joseph to sleep with her. But Joseph says no. And look at how he handles this temptation. Come with me, verse 8. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. And he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil? And how could I sin against God? Joseph, he doesn't muck about. He doesn't give himself a chance to fall into sin. He just immediately says no. But the other thing he does is he names all the people that this decision is going to affect. In tempting him to sleep with her, Potiphar's wife, she's saying, come on, come with me. No one needs to know. It will be our little secret. And I think temptation, and especially sexual temptation, often feeds this lie to us, doesn't it? You know, it doesn't matter if I watch that little bit of porn. or It's not hurting anyone. It doesn't matter if I sleep with my, husband, um, my partner before we're married. Now, it's just about us. It's, it's love, right? It doesn't matter if I take that second look of that woman walking past. What harm is there in that? But no, Joseph, he says, no. He says, how could he do this to Potiphar, who has entrusted him with all he owns? And even more so, how could he sin against God? See, when we are tempted, we need to realize that it's not just a decision that impacts us. It impacts our relationships with our husband or our wife. It impacts our relationships with our friends and family. It impacts relationships with people that we don't even realize it's affecting. But more importantly, when we sin, when we fall into temptation, we're sinning against God. The God who has made us, who has given us everything we have. Now, the thing with temptation is, it can feel like it's relentless, can't it? 
those desires, those things that are tempting us often stick around. And we see in verse 10 that Joseph, he's tempted day after day. He can't get out. And yet he still refuses to go to bed with her. Joseph does everything he can to try and be above reproach. And still when one day, when no one else is around, Potiphar's wife grabs him. And so what does Joseph do this time? Well, he flees. He runs from temptation. He rules over sin. He masters it in that moment. That's how we need to treat temptation as well, isn't it? We need to flee it. We need to run away from it. We need to rule over it. We don't let it linger. And Joseph, he could have done what we often do when faced with temptation. He could have given himself a reason to sin. He could have come up with an excuse that justified his sin in his heart. Now, he could have said, you know, I've, I've worked hard. I'm an important guy now. I have a lot of things that I have to look after. I deserve to be able to sleep with Potiphar's wife. Now, he could have convinced himself that, you know, it's been a rough few years. He's been sold out by his family. He's faced hardship. He's in a new country, you know. He might be feeling sorry for himself. He could have used that excuse to justify his sin. But no, instead of coming up with an excuse... Joseph resists the temptation. In the face of great suffering, in the face of temptation, Joseph remains faithful to God. And so Joseph remains faithful, which that means his life's going to be pretty easy and free of suffering now, doesn't it? Well, no. Verse 14. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. Just as things are starting to look up for Joseph, he loses everything again. He gets accused of sexual assault. He's thrown into prison. He's done the right thing and yet he's punished. And again, you might be thinking, well, what's happened to his dream, to this where he's meant to be ruling and people are meant to be bowing down before him. It doesn't seem like life has improved that much at all. It's a helpful reminder, I think, that saying no to sin doesn't mean God owes you an easy life. Because saying no to sin, well, that's just what we do. That's what we're meant to do, right? If we're Christians, if we trust in Jesus, if we are united with Christ... Well, then our old self is gone and we now live with the Spirit. We say no to sin and yes to Jesus. Saying no to sin is who we are now. It is what we're expected to do. It is what we're able to do because of being united with Christ. And as we're united with Jesus in His death and resurrection, we're united with Him in His suffering. A good life is not a reward for saying no to sin. In fact, it can actually result in more suffering as we see here with Joseph. Joseph is thrown into prison. He's removed from his position of power and he's punished for something he hasn't done. And yet we see again in verse 21 that the Lord is with Joseph. The chapter started with the Lord being with Joseph and it ends that way as well. In the midst of suffering, 
God is faithful to his servant Joseph. And Joseph remains faithful to God. And again, verse 23, we see that the Lord made everything that he did successful. But again, we're still left wondering, what is to come of Joseph's dream? And as we move into chapter 40, well, as we read, we see, see two of Pharaoh's officers thrown into prison for offending the king. And whilst there, both these guys, they have dreams, and Joseph, he interprets them both. He tells the cupbearer that he's going to be back working with Pharaoh in three days. And he also tells the baker that he's going to be executed in three days. Now, after interpreting these dreams, all Joseph asks is that the cupbearer will remember him. Verse 14, But when all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. You see, it's been probably around 13 years since Joseph has been sold by his brothers. 13 years of facing temptation, being falsely accused, being imprisoned, being a slave, being beaten up. Joseph has had it tough. All he asks is to be rescued from his imprisonment. But how does the chapter end? Verse 23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Wow, that's brutal, isn't it? Joseph has suffered beyond measure. He's been sold out by his own family. He's been punished for doing right. How would you respond in those conditions? How would you keep hanging in there? Now, it's hard to trust God, isn't it, when everything is going against you? It's hard to know why life is the way it is. When you dream for so much more, you can get disappointed, you can get angry when things don't work out the way we thought they would. And yet Joseph doesn't respond like that, does he? Joseph, through all his suffering, remains faithful to God. He moves from disaster to disaster, but he doesn't feel sorry for himself. He doesn't get angry at God. In the midst of injustice, he doesn't give up. Rather, he trusts himself to God. He, just like Jesus, entrusts himself to the one who judges justly. And you see, I think Joseph is a bit of a picture of Jesus because Jesus was tempted in every way and yet he did not sin. Jesus was betrayed for a price, sold out, abandoned by his brothers, the disciples, falsely accused. He inspired hatred and jealousy. And as Jesus went to the cross, he was seemingly forsaken by God and he was forsaken by man left to die. But Jesus, he didn't just hang in there. And Jesus experienced the horror of hell in our place. And yet he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And he's able to say, Father, please take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus remained faithful even to the point of death so that we could be made right with God. 
It's tough, isn't it, when you picture life to be one thing, but it looks completely different. When you feel you've been wronged, when you feel lonely, when you feel forgotten, forgotten by friends and family, maybe when you feel forgotten by God. And maybe that's you today. Maybe that will be you in the future. Perhaps you're suffering. Maybe you've been suffering for a long time. All you want to do is be rescued like Joseph. And friends, unfortunately, I can't promise that life is going to get better in the immediate future. See, Joseph, he was waiting 13 years for his dreams to come a reality and he's still got some more waiting to go. But God will not abandon us. He didn't abandon Joseph and he won't abandon us. He doesn't abandon us in this life. He doesn't abandon us to the grave and he doesn't abandon us to the wrath of God on the last day. No, he will rescue us. Maybe not from our current nightmare. He may, but he may not. But he does promise to be with you. He does promise that if we trust in Jesus, he will rescue us from the coming judgment. He will keep his promise to never leave us and never forget us. So friends, please hang in there. Resist temptation. Remain faithful to the faithful one. Remain faithful to the one who judges justly, who never abandons us. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus says, And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Resist temptation. In the midst of suffering, hold on to God, because Jesus is coming back, and of that we can be assured. How about I pray? Father, we thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you never abandon us. Thank you that in the midst of suffering, we can hold on to the great hope of eternal life with you. Lord, we know that you are the one who judges justly. We pray that even when you feel far off, we know that your promises are sure. We know that you will return to rescue us, to bring us into salvation with you. Lord, please help us to keep trusting you. Help us to hold on to you, remain faithful to you. Help us to flee sin, to resist temptation. Please help us to grow more like Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.